Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and future. I'm Dr. Jody, and as an anxiety expert and adult child and adolescent doctor of clinical psychology, I'm on a mission to create a world where every person can manage anxiety and thrive. Over the last 30 years, I've coached global organizations and worked across clinical and educational settings, including Harvard Medical School. In 2015, I founded The Anxiety Clinic with a purpose to help adults, kids and teens to overcome anxiety, stress, behavioral challenges, low mood and burnout and live life with happiness and well-being. As a keynote speaker and executive coach, I love to help individuals, leaders and teams to master their mindset, enhance well-being and achieve resilient high performance. I also share my knowledge in my best-selling book, The Mind Strength Method, Four Steps to Curb Anxiety, Conquer Worry, and Build Resilience. Join me as I go in session with celebrities, elite athletes, and business leaders to find out how they've leveraged the superpower of anxiety, risen above challenges, and aligned to passion and purpose. Hello, everybody. Vince Frost, it's such a joy to connect with you today on the podcast. Welcome. Incredible you, man that you are. Thank you so much for, for having me on. I'm, I'm thrilled and honored. It's an honor to have you on. You know, you are an absolute legend in your profession, in your industry globally. And it's been such a joy getting to know you over several years now. We jumped fairly quickly into a high performance coaching space. Because you know my mission, Vince, and you know what I'm so, so very passionate about is helping people to recognize that we are all in this together. And when we can move out of fight or flight and move out of anxiety and stress and burnout and the agitation that can come with lots of that and learn the tools to realign to the things that are important to you, this is called a high performance. We really recognized that in the space, the work that we were doing together. So I'd love to hear your perspective on this work in the context of high performance. How does that sort of hit home for you? I guess the in terms of high performance, at the time when we're kind of talking about um, some of the issues that I had, it was kind of just performance would have been good. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just wanted to get through things, you know. The high performance side of things is I'm highly motivated and highly optimistic and determined, but I'm not, I guess the high performance side of things is for me, I'm kind of like to be at a, at a place of just being solid mm-hmm. and solid and consistent and reliable and more and fluid. In terms of kind of high performance, for me, that kind of sounds really like I'm entering the Olympics or I'm trying to be a super athlete. I know that that's what you want. You want people to be the best they can be. I'm all totally for that. For me, I just need to know the guides and the tools and the way forward to ensure that I'm the best I can be. High performance and and being solid is actually quite, I don't know if you see it the same thing, but I kind of see it as two ends of the scale, not two ends of the scale. Cause obviously like when you're at an all time low, which is often when I've come to you, I've come to you going, you know what? I actually need some serious help. I don't know about, you might have people 
that come to you who are absolutely anxiety becomes desperate fear or desperate uncertainty and and feeling that everything around you is compounded to the point where you're just trying to make sense of everything and and that it's i don't know i, I help me with this because i kind of i'm kind of going down a bit of a rabbit hole with this 100 percent, and i love everything that you're saying because in essence we are all in this together when we talk about performance and high performance and just feeling not shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, just moving out of that sludge. The tools are the same. And that's what I love about this is when we can bring it back to our common human experience and understand our neuroscience and understand that worry is going to try and boss us around and understand that uncertainty is going to terrify us sometimes and learn the tools as to how to move out of that or how to build acceptance around that and then realign to the things that matter most for us professionally and personally. The toolkit is the same for every single human being on this planet. So I love it that you moved away from the term high performance and moved it into a space of let's just feel okay. Let's feel mm, okay. Yeah. And let's learn how to feel okay. Let's talk about some of that tough stuff, the really tough stuff. When things have been tricky, if you're comfortable to talk about this, what have been the experiences for you? They varied over the years, of course, and by no means am I an expert in this, you know, but I realized early on that my life, me as a human being, I'm a human being across all aspects of my life. There's kind of no real kind of barriers or work, life or family, home. I am one and my life is one. And I think previously people were trying to kind of make me or help me kind of separate them. And I realized over time that it's actually a full life experience is actually a good and, and positive thing. And of course, there's aspects of that that kind of get too much. You know, there's times when I literally were am working too much or, or as a business doing you know, busy as ever and not making money or not making profit or having that constant concern about, are we going to get through this month? You know, the challenge of projects in a creative organization that we're constantly thinking about for ideas for our clients is that are ideas good enough? You know, yeah. like that fear of not being good enough sometimes comes up. And that's something which is, again, natural, but it comes, it raises its head at the worst time possible when you've got to deliver on something like that. So I think also around, you know, I've learned to be focused on my own personal health, eating the right things. I haven't drank alcohol for 10 years. I'm mm -hmm. now doing strength training every other day. You know, I'm doing things that I've tried so many things through my, my life that haven't worked. And mm -hmm. there's things that I found along the way that have worked. And kind of, I guess, in a way, using life, the journey of life to kind of, and I would say the same thing, you know, meeting you has contributed massively towards my general well-being and learning how to, what you've been advised me on, have made a big difference to other aspects of my life as well. So it's kind of finding your way and using life to kind of work out what works, what doesn't work, as opposed to keep doing the same thing that doesn't work over and over again, which is sometimes I've gotten to that situation before and kind of no wonder I kind of hit the ceiling or hit the floor, exhausted, frustrated, not knowing what to, to do going forward. Yeah. I kind of like to say like, Focus on incremental steps going forward and trying to be the best you, but find what's right for you is, is really, really important. That can be the same with relationships. That can be the same with what you do in your spare time or your, any kind of physical activity that you do. 
I love that. So many gold nuggets there and so much coming up that is super helpful because we can relate to these things. You know, you have provided some wonderful examples there. You know, you talked about the financial uncertainty story. Like this is where worry very typically bosses us around and feeds us this challenge around uncertainty. As you know, when we take it to that deeper level, And uncertainty and our struggle with certainty typically clusters around certain themes, finance and that financial fear or that financial uncertainty is a really, really common one. Then the second one that you mentioned, Vince, is so powerful. It's around that fear of not being good enough Mm. and that worry story. And when we can kind of notice the story and notice the themes and start to get distance from those and recognize worry as a process and start to get the capacity for self-awareness to not get hooked into the content of that story, but just notice it as a story, it's very, very powerful. And I learn so much from my clients and I have to be, and I'm so grateful to you, Vince, because throughout our time and our work together, I've learned so much from you. You are a powerhouse in your industry and you are what I would absolutely call the superpower of anxiety. Um, so it's such a joy to have you on this, on this show. Let's talk about the work that you do and the expertise that you have. Tell us a little bit more about your professional space. We're based in Sydney. There's about 45 of us in the Frost Collective, and we are passionate about designing a better world. We're passionate about working with our clients and helping all clients from large and small startups, charities, everything across society, uh, helping helping organizations and individuals to be the best they can be. That's our focus. And so we're very fortunate to be crazy busy, always opportunities coming through the door, uh, which we don't take for granted. And we really, really focus on making every opportunity comes our way, you know, fully fledged, kind of a, a great, great successful outcome for all involved. And so the whole breadth of uh, incredible talent within the company, strategists, designers, architects, interior designers, project managers, finance, et cetera. So that kind of collective, the whole ecosystem that we've created is for me about helping my people thrive and flourish in an environment that we've created by providing the infrastructure, but also the opportunities for them to to work on really cool projects locally and internationally as well. 100%. And I've had the privilege of working with your incredible team and your magnificent leaders. And I can really talk to the, the very strong heartbeat across all of you. And the creative industry is an industry that I absolutely love to work with because it's so filled with this double-edged sword of anxiety to be a creative. And yes, this is a generalization, but it's built on lots of experience with, yeah. because it's that sense of empathy, right? To be able to design well, you have to be able to put yourself in the shoes of your clients. And that's deep empathy. Deep empathy often comes with anxiety, giving a shit, (laughs) caring. And I love to say you care because you care. And also that sort of analytical space as a creative. So it's leveraging the strengths that go with being a creative, that deep empathy is your superpower and standing up to the challenges that go along with that as well. And having to design for others is such a tricky thing. It's mm. a really, really challenging space. Yeah. Yeah. In the old days, I used to, every time I did a project, this is way back in London, I'd go through that whole process of 
like literally being so fearful mm-hmm. of the deadline, fearful of not having a good idea in yes. time for the client. Just my whole process was based on fear, mm-hmm. which is we'd crack it at the end of the, you know, the night before the presentation, the next morning, we'd crack it, but we'd almost kill yourself in the process, which was time and time again, was really, really unhealthy. And I got to the point where I actually thought that that's the only way that you could have a great idea by putting yourself through that physical pain. It sounds extreme to say it. It sounds naff. sounds like ridiculous, but I guess that's, that's kind of in a way how I was taught at art school was to be fiercely competitive with all the other students and we'd all be given the same brief and a timeline and we'd all have to pitch to the teachers and you know the winning pitch was what won and so for a lot of people who were like myself were at the time very introverted a lot of creative people are introverts and so they're not great at articulating they're good at expressing themselves through their design or through their craft but they're not necessarily great as at vocalizing how they're feeling, or even their ideas. Mm. It's often quite hard to, to kind of, you know, tell the story or the, the rich kind of depth of, of a strategy that you might have mm. if you are not that type of, that type of person. So for a long, long time, I, w- I went through that process and I, I really did like drive myself into the ground and probably the people around me. And I had to learn how to approach it differently. Mm. And as I said, it was kind of strange because if you take off the pressure, if you try to eliminate the pressure of fear and you're fear-based, you think that you're being lazy or you think that you're not putting enough effort into it. It's kind of, you'd, you'd understand this because we talked about it, but it's kind of interesting because it's the last thing I am is lazy, but I'm absolutely determined. So it's like, if you take away the fear, what have you got to replace it with? You know, if the process of getting, getting the idea done on time and you know, it's really enjoyable experience, at the time, I felt like that's not possible. <laughs> you know? yeah. And for, for a few years there, it wasn't possible. I kind of still fought against it. And now it's much more collaborative, much more streamlined. You trust that it's going to be good. Trust is a big thing. Mm. You trust that you're going to have a great outcome or collectively we have a great outcome. Mm. And so that fear over time has been eliminated. It's still there sometimes. And I think natural to have fear. I'm slightly nervous about talking to you now as it's a podcast and this video, yeah. but you know, there's, there's an aspect of that that's, that, that's healthy, but it's like, it's when it becomes overpowering is not, not healthy whatsoever. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And, you know, as you say, the, the nervousness, the adrenaline that is stimulated by sort of being in that nervousness space is designed to narrow our focus and to help us in the moment. And so a little bit of that adrenaline, it actually enhances performance and it's leveraging that in the moment that's helpful in performance. But these fear drivers, as you said, is unsustainable and not healthy necessarily. So when we take it to that deeper level and think about what is driving your behavior at any particular moment, having the capacity to stand up to fear and realigning, you know, you talked about being able to trust now. And that's fantastic because ultimately when we have the capacity for trust, it is sitting with the discomfort of uncertainty because to trust is to sit potentially with uncertainty and learning how to do that. It can be liberating when we're in fear, our body and our behaviors respond. So that's what anxiety is, our physiological reaction to perceived threat in our environment. So when you were 
driven by fear. I would love to hear a little bit more around what you recognized to be some of those fight, flight. I cluster them in fight behaviors, flight behaviors, and need for certainty and control because ultimately it's our struggle with uncertainty. And these are the many faces of anxiety. Take yourself back, Vince, to one of these times. What were some of the behaviors that would unravel when you were sitting in fear as your driver? Yeah, I mean, I probably was a very unpleasant person to be around. And that still happens, of course. <laughs> but, and what does uh, unpleasant look like? Probably, I see it at times that I'm being being firm or assertive. I think also like you think that you're at times you could, you're in your own world. So no one's aware of what's going on in your head, but mm-hmm. obviously there's an aura that emits from one and people pick up on it. It's kind of interesting that like when you're feeling shit, you're feeling bad, you're feeling down or whatever, everything around you, everyone you interact with kind mm-hmm. of reflects that as well. Like you go, hang on, how come that person's moody? <laughs> this actually, yeah. Or that person's aggressive with me. It's actually me. Yeah. It's actually caused that kind of what's coming back to me. And so I always kind of thought I was in my own world and it's just my woe was me kind of thing. But it's actually clearly, no matter how much I tried to disguise it, it was very apparent that I might have come across as being aggressive. And people kept saying, well, why are you so angry with me? I'm going, I'm not angry with you. I'm just like, I'm frustrated. (laughs) Is that the same thing? Is frustration and anger the same thing? I don't know. but It's representation of fight. So anger, frustration, aggression, agitation, short fuse, you know, blame, defensiveness. These are all some of the faces oftentimes of anxiety, of that vulnerability and that struggle with uncertainty and basically just wanting everything to be safe and well and successful. And so we are not robots. This is what happens if we dig deeper, that level of, I just want things to go well, so that care factor. And it can be really challenging. And you talk about assertiveness. You know, I like to differentiate between being aggressive and being assertive and being passive. You know, these are different communication styles. Typically, we find assertive hard as human beings. So we jump to aggressive. It's our fight. We're wired that way or we jump to passive and we shut down and avoid situations, neither of which are helpful. Hey? Yeah. Or we avoid confrontation altogether. And then, and then over time, it just, you know, it just peaks and kind of compounds and you explode. I find often what I used to do was procrastinate. I still do that. Procrastinate, you know, like something becoming up and I go, okay, I haven't cracked it. Can't think of it. I'll vacuum or I'll wash the car or I'll clean the windows. You know, I kind of find other things to do, which detracts yeah. me from what I'm really going to be focused on. It does help alleviate it. I mean, I guess the thing in this modern world today, we're constantly under the pressure. We're also like, we got to deliver. We're in a business, for example, that we got to every day, there's there's hundreds of projects going Mm -hmm. on that we've got to constantly deliver. Mm -hmm. And we've got to do it in a way that's positive, professional, exciting, dynamic, entertaining, that kind of constant. If if you're not feeling 100% yourself, it's Mm. really hard to fake it. You know, it's really hard to fake (laughs) that you're not feeling the fear. And you you mentioned procrastination. It's a really, really good example of one of the faces of anxiety. And it's a flight behavior. Oftentimes, if we fear not being good enough, or let's say, you know, you you cite the example of so many projects to get done, the procrastination is like the the last thing you want to be doing, right? And sometimes it can kick in like this big 
brick wall. I refer to this in the book, in the Mind Strength Method, it's sort of this brick wall that you sort of say, I know what to do. I know how to do it. I want to do it, but I just can't bloody well face it. It's just our neuroscience trying to self-protect from perceived disaster. (laughs) It's about learning to sit with the discomfort, gradually approaching that challenge of uncertainty and breaking down that procrastination brick wall. When you're in procrastination, what do you find helps you to move out of it? What are some of the strategies and helps you to realign to some of those projects that you really do very much need and want to get on with? I think that a lot of time when I feel like I need to go into that kind of procrastination, that kind of holding pattern state, is often it's because I don't know enough. It's kind of, I don't know enough about the project or the opportunity. And sometimes it's kind of, you left it too late. You know, it's really close to, you got to deliver on this, you got to present to the client, et cetera. I should have been asking stuff three weeks ago. Uh, I should have been like really unpacking it then, but I've kind of left it too late. And then you kind of like desperately in your mind trying to solve it, trying to find an idea to kind of like make mm-hmm. sense of it. And especially if you've got multiple things going on, I think that kind of comes back to our conversations. I realized that I'm certainly not perfect and don't want to portray that in any way. I'm just a human being trying to make sense of the world, trying to make it work. But I realized over time, I was doing so many things that were working against me, like drinking alcohol, you know, might be seen as a recreational thing, but it's actually beginning to impact my life and my health in a negative way. I was always foggy. That kind of helped create even further fogginess in my life. I found that not exercising, you know, I go, you know, everything else is just work and family is just, is just, is number one priority. And my general health and well-being was put to one side that suffered. And I, I saw that as being, I kept thinking that the priority is to get the work done. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see myself as a priority. If you put yourself as a priority or it seemed to be kind of self-obsessed in a way, which I didn't want to kind of do. And I think that getting through it was, you know, training or going for a walk or, you know, doing some strength training. It took away all the fog. It took Mm -hmm. away the kind of accumulative stress that came there. And I guess over time, I realized that I needed to be, I need to train every other day. I know people have said that for decades, but Mm -hmm. I've realized now through trial and error, if I'm doing it, I found the thing that I love doing, which is kettlebells with a bunch of guys. Mm -hmm. I found that that that's what I need. That keeps me kind of normal. It keeps me yeah. like in, a, in that kind of healthier place, not just to become a super, I don't want to become a super athlete or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I just want to feel good, you know? Stunning. And recognizing that self-care is not selfish. Self-care is your right as a human being. And people who care often, often project that care outwards and miss looking after ourselves. So really the key message, self-care is not selfish. And sometimes there's guilt and shame around actually looking after ourselves and their bully emotions, bully experience. And I'm so thrilled to hear that your strategy for moving from anxiety into action, moving from worry into values-aligned, empowered action and choosing things like exercise and movement. And you mentioned that you do it with a group of people. That's community, that's connection, collaboration, all of these superpowers to help us to feel better and stimulate those positive neurochemicals. Movement is one of the best things we can do to help us to move out of the sludge of burnout or low mood or stress into 
more readily flourishing and feeling even just a little bit better. How good is that, Vince? And I I love also about what you said about doing it consistently. That's really, really helpful tips. What about professionally with other businesses that, you know, might be struggling and leaders and teams? What are some of your top tips being, you know, having worked for decades as an expert in your field? What sort of things would you love to share with other people, other leaders? Yeah, I think that often leaders of businesses are not natural leaders. Often they're technicians or someone who's good at something. Say, for example, me, who's good at, you know, good at design or graphic Mm -hmm. design originally. I got into business by default. People wanted me to do design. So I started a practice, Frost, you know, Frost Design. That didn't mean that I was a fully fledged business. I was kind of like a pseudo business. I thought, okay, frost on the door. I was doing the work. I was invoicing. I was finding the work, you know, all that kind of stuff. I realized that, you know, for a long, long time, it was incredibly hard. Business is so, so hard. You know, I I don't know anybody who thinks it's it's easy. It can get easier. You can do things to make it more enjoyable and more efficient. But I think that what I learned over time was, you know, the shifting from the practitioner to actually the owner or leader of a business for a lot of people, including me, was an incredibly hard thing to do. Mm. I wasn't naturally a, a leader of a business. I was comfortable being a designer. And I kind of fudged the business side of it for a long, long time until I learned how to shift from working in the business to on the business. Mm. And that was a, a mega shift for me mm. and not something that was easy. It took a long time to Eventually, you know, I was always the CEO, I was always the founder of the business, but I was really the designer or the creative director of the business. I was less the CEO that I should have been at the time. And that's just kind of, I guess, through life, kind of through going through business, learning the way through that and finding a better outcome through basically ongoing training and learning how business works. No one really taught me about business initially. They taught me, you know, a couple of years in design. And that shift was as I said, was was really, really hard. Mm. I think that the thing that really stood out for me was that I had always kind of let life kind of happen to me. I kind of been reacting to the day, to the year, to the, you know, whatever. I let life take me on that journey. And what I learned was that you can actually have a plan. You can have a vision and your purpose and your values. And when you unpack all that, I mean, you talk to people who've been in business for a very long time who still don't have a vision of what they want to achieve. Mm. And they've been very successful. There's other people that haven't grown their business because they haven't had a vision or a plan. Mm -hmm. And I've seen the ones who then embrace that and create a kind of a plan, three-year plan, 10-year plan, whatever it might be, proactively work out the direction of their life or their business. Mm. When they start to implement that, it completely transforms their life. They can't imagine that's even possible at the time because you're drowning in it. And it seems like a lot of hocus pocus kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But when you see that happen, and I've experienced it for myself, it's a game changer. 100%. You know, this is the absolute core, isn't it? When we've worked along the way, Vince, this is just when we have clarity of that alternative pathway, as you are describing of mission, purpose, strategic goals, values, and values alignment, it provides a clear alternative pathway to fight or flight and to to the sort of flotsam and jetsam of life, right? Clarity of that pathway, whether it's professional or personal, core to flourishing is 
reflection on what does flourishing mean? What do I value? What gives my life meaning, purpose, and fulfillment? These are questions that we don't typically explore. We just kind of think about the, what, what do I want to push away from? <laughs> what yeah. do I fear? What do I want to avoid? As opposed to what do I want to pull towards? That is that pivot out of pushing away from stuffing up or pushing away from fear of something bad happening to I talk about the heart-driven pull towards something and getting clarity on that. You know, this is where empowerment lies and where flourishing and thriving lies. I have to say, I love your term design your life and your book. And this is just exquisite because it's about recognizing it is our right towards empowered action to not get caught up in the tsunami of life, but to really take hold and say, what is important to me? This is assertiveness. Doesn't come easily. So when we talk about the term design your life, your term, your beautiful term, what do you mean by that? What comes up for you? The way it came about was that I'd kind of over as you say before, decades, work with clients on... Just two decades, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it's actually three. Very shortly. <laughs> three, three. It's a long me, time. Me too, me too. Yeah, it's a long time and it's and it's kind of so exciting to kind of be in on that journey and to be learning along the way. And I guess that when I was kind of practicing design and the business, I'd hit a wall a few times during the year and my whole life, I thought it was the end. I was just like, this is it. I can't keep going. And kind of get a bit better and then you get back into the, the swing of it again and, and away you go until you kind of hit a wall again. I kept kind of approaching life in that way. I didn't really ever fix anything. But constantly I was working on projects, me and my team, projects for our clients. They would come in, they need, they'd have a brief, agree a budget and a timeline, and you'd have to deliver by that date. And despite how easy or stressful that might have been, we delivered every time. But in my own life, I would see problems that would occur during my life. And I would think about it and I go see a, a, a doctor and have a chat about it. And I wouldn't really, you know, the, someone was telling me about a plan of what I need to do. And I'd be like, ah, uh, I get back into the swing of work again or, or my life. It became the kind of my priority was to kind of just get through everything. But I realized that if I had actually approached my life, my personal life and my personal problems in the way and with the passion and the determination that I did with my clients, then I could fix my own personal problems. The mm. problem was that I, I didn't give it the focus, the time and, and the care and attention. And I didn't, didn't create a deadline. The deadline was always at tomorrow. And so I never actually dealt with a lot of the stuff that actually, if I learned to deal with it and solve it like I did with my clients, then I could become move towards a better me. I tried a few times doing that. And, you know, stopping drinking alcohol for me was a, a major thing. And mm -hmm. so I realized over the years that I was a binge drinker, that I felt like I was in this permanently in this kind of hangover state and that our body is a big filter, uh, basically. And the alcohol in my system was basically spending hours, if not days, kind of filtering through my system and putting a lot of pressure on my whole body, my whole body kind of well-being, et cetera. So it kind of tried cutting it out and kind of giving myself a deadline and time, knowing that it was a problem for me. It might not be for somebody else, but it was a problem for me. Accepting that that was then the brief. Okay, how might I resolve this? I did maybe I cut back a bit. I tried a whole bunch of different ways. That didn't work because I just, I'm a binge drinker and I wanted to drink more. Yeah. Someone tells me to do something, I do it more. Everyone always said, hey, have wine. You can just have wine. It's fine. 
you know, I think that they knew better than I, and I did have one, and then I had two, three, four, five, you know, like it just became crazy. So I kind of tackled this and I realized I I stopped drinking for a year and then I started again, or I stopped drinking for three years and I started again. Eventually I got there through determination of not screwing my life up entirely. And I've now, as I said, stopped drinking for 10 years, but it was a lot of trial and error kind of giving myself deadlines and actually trying to work out what's the best solution to doing that. I mean, there's been a series of things through my life that I realized that I need to deal with it. I need to accept that these were problems or opportunities for change for the better and work out, design a solution, design a roadmap, design a outcome, or even imagine what it might look like, you know, visualize the future of what a better me might look like or feel like. Beautiful. This is a really powerful strategy, you know, the power of visualization and your capacity in the moment to move from this is a problem to what is the opportunity here? Recognize that discomfort is a precursor to growth. And if you move it into the value of continual improvement and how can I move from, you know, worry and struggle into problem solving and practical action. These are some of the mindset hacks that we can do. Thank you for sharing that experience around drinking. When we think about when we're in struggle and in agitation and dealing with grief or challenging life experience, and that's threat or perceived threat. And as we know, it tips us into fight or flight. And flight, drinking is a flight behavior. But if that is what's driving it, you know, obviously we have social drinking and things that are different, you know, you might call that different drivers. But if we are turning to drink to numb difficult emotions, that is where it can become a really slippery slope. For people who are listening or watching, it's phenomenal that you were able to do this because this is tough stuff. And as magnificent Glennon Doyle says, we can do hard things, right? You have done hard things. What would be some of the top strategies, if you could distill it down, no pun intended, if you could talk about what are some of the top strategies that you use that really helped you to move from the drinking into non-drinking, what would you say were those most helpful things? I think the realization, firstly, that it was a, a problem, you know, that it wasn't everybody else around me, because I, I did at the time think that it wasn't me, because in our industry and in life generally, people, alcohol is a, is a big part of our social lubricant. But it actually is everywhere you go, alcohol plays a big part of that. Mm. Functions, events, birthdays, celebrations, pubs, restaurants, alcohol is just so readily available. And it's the norm. It's the norm. The fact that it is a drug, that it is toxic, that it isn't really good for your body or your mind or relationships. The realization that I actually had a problem, that it's something that some people around me emphasized that and for years had kind of told me that, but I didn't accept it. I was in denial. And in a way, I was kind of alcohol was, you know, you have a drink at the end of the day to escape. I was escaping my own mind. Uh And really, it's something interesting when I stopped drinking. I think that's the thing that escapism is what I missed. Uh I missed, I wanted that downtime. I wanted that pause button. I wanted to switch off from all the anxiety that was in my head. Uh And it did that for a short period of time, but it got me into a worse state after that. And so, you know, I tried things like drinking green tea instead of alcohol or you know, fuzzy, fizzy water or lemon, lime, and bitters. You know, I'd still drink like, five or six or 10 of them, because I just had this habit in me of, of 
uh, obsessive kind of, um, I, I couldn't just have one. I don't know why. I just something in me. I think the hard thing was actually spending time in that kind of sober state alone mm-hmm. in your own thoughts. And my, you know, I'm on the spectrum and, you know, you've labeled me, you've mentioned to me, you believe I'm have OCD. There's things going on that make it, you know, have a crazy mind and maybe we all have crazy minds. And for me, it's trying to kind of trying to work out what is normal. What does it feel like? What should I be like? And how should I feel? What should I look like? What does my life look like? I don't know. It's kind of like spending time in that kind of sober state. It's not that I was drunk all the time. That time alone is a bit like, I kind of, I, I guess I describe it a bit like that COVID time when we we're all forced into lockdown. Mm-hmm. We we're forced into that situation where we spend time alone or at home, away from the busyness or, or what we used to, or habits of what we have around us in the outside world. And that time alone is painful. <laughs> it was really painful at first. And um, that with the discomfort. Yeah. That exactly. was the discomfort. And that's super powerful. And then you moved into what strategies. So I mean, there's so much, so many amazing things that you are saying right now that I like want to jump on that and jump on that. But really what you talked about initially there is what's called a safety behavior. So alcohol is a safety behavior. And an analogy that I use for safety behaviors is struggling in quicksand. We do it because we're trying to help ourselves to deal with a challenging situation, but we typically sinking deeper. Mm. And so it makes our situation worse rather than better, even though the intent is trying to help ourselves. It's the opposite of helpful. And that's how you describe the experience of those those binges that you're experiencing. And you acknowledged, you built acceptance and acknowledgement and awareness and ownership of the problem. So powerful. And then you moved into practical action. And you talked about very wonderful strategies in that. So what other things did you turn to, to allow you to feel instead of going down the path of drinking to try and numb, numb the experience? What else that you've talked about exercise? Is there anything else that you can sort of share with listeners around what you found particularly helpful in the things that you turned towards? If we talk about values driven actions instead. I think the, in this situation, I remember talking with you and and kind of the kind of what you're saying, like you are good enough. It's that feeling of you know, I'm not. I'm a fraud. I'm winging it. I'm not good enough. If people that's what worry will tell you, because we we'll never be certain around that, right? No, we'll never no. have certainty. And that feeling of yeah, and it's a it's a terrible feeling because it's quite debilitating and yeah. and, and exhausting. And, uh, you know, it's like, where does that come from? Where does that doubt come from? And I guess that over time, learning to be comfortable with yourself in like some people are in serial relationships because they can't face being by themselves. Some people have constantly got to be surrounded by people all the time or constantly being busy because actually they don't want that downtime or that time where they have to think about things like I, I don't know. I just find becoming comfortable with the quiet time. Mm. Um, not always being on. I'm still a very, I get confused with kind of being optimistic, excited about life and avoidance, <laughs> you know, oh. avoiding that kind of time to sit and be quiet and to meditate or to be just be. 
we have to in the world today. If it just feels like there's so much pressure in this world today of, of, oh. of to do things and deliver, and it's to be perfect, right? Yeah, and, and to get rid of bad feelings. And what that does is it undermines our capacity to sit with the discomfort. And we say, I have to be comfortable in order to be good enough. I have to be perfect in order to be good enough. Um, and that makes us focus in on all of our perceived not good enoughs and the critical voice just gets louder and louder and louder. So you standing up to that, noticing that critical, that loud critical voice and say, no, that's not what's defining me. That's just a voice and learning how to sit with the discomfort of imperfection, the discomfort of whatever it is that's going on and getting clarity on what you need, not what worry is telling you. Yeah. So, so helpful. I think also just in terms of being appreciative for all the good things that are in my life. Mm. Um, because at the time, you just see all the negative. You see all the things mm. that aren't going right or the things that are going wrong or the things that you might not have that you want. Like to go back and go, you know what? I'm really appreciative for X, Y, and Z. You mm. know, like can be simple things. But I don't know. That really helped me too, to mm. be, you know what? My life is, inc- I have a credible life. I'm an incredible family, business, team, we live in an incredible country, an incredible time. You know, despite COVID, despite wars and all that, I mean, other people are in a less fortunate situation. And, you know, I really, really appreciate that. And I think that I'm, I've been, for me, I, I feel like I've been put on this earth to help people. Mm. It's not about making money. It's not about having more. It's actually about giving back. And I mm-hmm. think that when you learn to give, give generally and gener- generously, you know, world gives back to you like twofold and it's just incredible absolutely wow and you know the science that supports gratitude as a facilitator to feel to feel better to stimulate the positive neurochemicals there's so much science to support this because of our negativity bias that we have that our brain is wired towards the negative and so to spend time you know whether it's journaling three things that you feel grateful for and doing it as a daily practice or waking up and having one positive focus when you start the day to lean into reflection on some of the things that we can feel grateful for no matter how small it might be enables us to sort of rebalance the scales just a little bit because you're right it is such a complex world not the world that we were designed to live in but the world that we have to learn to adapt to and flourish alongside uncertainty and the challenges that it brings. Vince, you you have shared so much to help people today. I think it's just absolutely exquisite. I'm really curious to know in all of the amazing clients that you've worked with and you've worked globally and you continue to work globally and meeting people all the time and making such wonderful relationships and collaborations, who have been some of the individuals along the way who have been inspiring for you for one reason or another or books that you've read or oh geez okay (laughs) i I think i think it's interesting because i kind of always thought that everybody knew how the world works i always kind of felt like you know people in business big businesses for example i always thought that they had it sus and they were like experts in their field. And yes, of course they are experts, perceived experts in their field. But when you get to know people and, and it's really interesting as working on people's brands and people's businesses is that, you know, who's, I'm like a 
studied graphic design for two years, you know, that's not much of a, a long course. But somehow that profession of what we do opens up doors to people who are at the top of their game or, or CEOs of organizations, big organizations and small and startups and stuff. But what I've realized over time is that these people don't necessarily know any more than what I know, that they are basically human beings that are just trying their best to make it all work. And I find like whether they're amazing, you know, pop star or an actor or a director or a CEO of a bank or whatever it might be, they're human beings. And once I've realized that, and it might be obvious for people, I don't know, maybe I was uh, slow to learn this, but once I learned that, I like, wow, okay. Mm -hmm. I felt like I felt the pressure was taken off of me of feeling that feeling of feeling inadequate or I'm not at their level or I don't deserve to give them advice and things like mm-hmm. that or even be in that conversation with them. And I felt like I've then been kind of so inspired by people from all walks of life, professionals like yourself. You've helped me enormously, different clients around the world, other creative people around the world and, and my team and, and having conversations with people about their lives, how they started their journey, how they found their thing, how they make it all work. And I just find it so reassuring and inspiring in seeing humans kind of navigate life and that transparency around talking about when it's really shit mm-hmm. and not think that it has to be all shiny and glowing and mm-hmm. happy. I think people are far more today open to talk about every aspect of their life, you know, more so, I mean, we're doing it right now. People are very open with their lives, which I find, I think for other people hearing this and hearing those types of conversations will hopefully give clues or make you feel less bad or realize that we're all in the same boat, you know? hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. You know, I've had exactly the same experience. And we, the more I work in this sort of high performance space and the more individuals and organizations that I have the opportunity to get to know really closely, it just reinforces that we are so, our common humanity is absolutely there. And to lean into vulnerability and authenticity as superpowers, absolutely love what you have to say there. For people who are experiencing anxiety, who are listening or watching, you've shared so much already. Any other top tips that come to mind? Ask for help. For a long time there, I I didn't think, well, I didn't know who to ask for help. But also I thought that asking for help showed weakness, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that now I ask for help all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's become yeah. a bit, I don't know, for a while there, it kind of felt like, you know, you just kind of like you're in your own mind, in your own head, trying to make sense of it. I think that when you talk to people, share your thoughts and fears and, you know, et cetera, people can kind of, can give you advice and guidance or just listen at times is, can be really beneficial. Absolutely. Or, or connect you with somebody who might be an expert that might help. And I guess be open to that connection, the connection with yourself, with others, finding your thing. I think it's so important to find your thing. You know, I think I found my thing. I mean, I, who knows? I could have done something completely different and, and been equally happy. And it's not to say it's hap- I'm happy all the time. It still can be really, really hard. But yeah. when you're doing the thing that you love, it makes such a difference to your life in terms of your purpose and how you live each day and the people you connect with around that, that makes, for me, that kind of makes me feel fulfilled. And so I strongly advise people to try to find their thing. And I know for some people it's not easy and they can take their whole life to find their thing. 
Mm. The sad thing is, I think people who kind of, when I do talks at conferences and stuff, people come to me and say, it's okay, you're lucky you found your thing. I don't think it is luck. I don't think it's something that just luckily happens. It's something you've got to be- purposeful. You've got to be kind of find it, trial mm-hmm. stuff, you know, see what works and and then kind of, I guess, put your full heart and soul into it. And mm-hmm. maybe that is a distra- detraction from myself as well. I don't know. Maybe- by just being busy in the thing that I absolutely love keeps me from sitting at home festering on my... <laughs> it sounds like your heart has driven you in that context, absolutely. In the context of finding your thing, where to from here, Vince Frost? What's next in your very exciting world, well, professionally I mean, or personally? I'm really happy with where we are today with the, with the business. I've learned to be the CEO of the business that I always was of, but kind of really feeling comfortable with that. Of course, as a creative person, you constantly, I need that creative opportunity and can express myself. And I get doing a whole bunch of personal projects, designing the business, et cetera, is also as a creative aspect. I think that I want to continue to help people and I feel massive fulfillment by, by doing that. I feel, I feel like that is my purpose. I feel like there is so much benefit and so much positivity around that that makes me feel really really good when i can see that i've helped individuals or organizations kind of improve things or help them have clarity in their business or help their teams have clarity around that person's vision etc working right across society i just find that you know really really cool i think today obviously we're in a pretty challenging time there's never been a better time to be alive in terms of health and length of life and quality of life, but we've got a very serious issue regarding the environment. And as we all know, we need to really utilize all we can. Each one of us needs to play a part in helping fix the world, you know, mm-hmm. put, putting the love and care back into the world to ensure that we, it can be much more sustainable than what we're currently doing right now. So that for me is the next kind of ongoing challenges is how do we use to design a better world? really and how do we use design to solve some of the kind of the major problems of this world that are really really urgent and pressing um oh wow i'm so glad i asked the question where to from here that's amazing i'm so excited to see your where to from here vince that sounds like a powerful critical mission thank you so much what an absolute joy every second has been speaking with you today it is really it's such a privilege to know you and uh, i hope that people get a lot of practical tools and tips from our discussion today take care vince thank you so much and can't wait to continue the conversation jody thank you so much you're absolutely brilliant person brilliant advisor and friend and i thank you so much for helping me and helping others. It's great to see you grow too, as your brand really grows, your book, seeing you on TV and doing events and, and helping so many people around the world to you know move towards eliminating the anxiety in their lives and being the best they can be. And that's really uh, admirable. So well done. Thank you so much. Take care, my friend. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Where To From Here. If you like what you've heard, be sure to click follow or subscribe for future episodes of Where To From Here via your podcast app. Leaving a review helps others find the podcast. And for more information, head to drjody.com.au or follow our socials at underscore drjody underscore.